Welcome to the Minnesotan Pod. Today we bring a good old-fashioned Minnesotan hockey player on the pod with us today, Lance Pitlick. Lance is a native of uh, Minnesota, played for Robbinsdale Cooper High School, where he graduated in 1986 and went on to a four-year career at the University of Minnesota, where he played in three Frozen Fours and was also the captain of the Gophers. Played 11 years pro um, and remains active in the game now for the last 20 years uh, with his sons playing hockey, coaching hockey, inventing products. We'll hear about it all today with Lance, who now resides with his wife, Lisa, in Plymouth, Minnesota. Hope you you enjoy today's pod. Love is a burning thing, and it makes a fiery ring bound by wild desire. I fell into a ring of fire. Well, Lance, how are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing awesome, Tony. Uh, thank you very much for having me on your show. Super excited and love what you've uh, created with the Youth Hockey Hub and what you're doing here on the podcast. It's a great platform. Well, I appreciate that. Um, this is a, my first ever home and home pod. Have you had a home and home besides me? Uh, I've had one other. Who is uh, who so is it with? You were, you were my first. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> who was your other one with? Uh, it was a, a a guy Rob Palente who has a podcast called Mind Body Bank. He played at Michigan Tech. Uh, really great story. Uh, <laughs> his first weekend at Michigan Tech. He got into a fight at a frat party, broke his hand. Really? And that completely, you know, derailed his career from that point on. It's a great story. So, anyway, sorry for digressing. No, this is that's what a positive for. So, th- is this guy like, because you and I are the exact same age. We graduated at the same time. Uh, was he the same age as you, or is he a year or two younger, a year or two older? Where was he uh, age-wise? I think he, I think he was, I don't, I don't remember playing. We're similar in age, but okay. uh, I don't remember playing against him. But, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, it's just fun hearing people's stories and, you know, for, for a lot of people that, that we interview, they're, they're trying to find memories that they haven't thought about in a long, long time. And when you do, and you kind of, you know, after it's done, you're like, yeah, that's kind of cool. So, uh, I, I love doing podcasts. We're like a minute and a half in and you've already got me to a place that I didn't even want to go. And that'd be like playing. You probably played at the, uh, Car- winter carnival once or twice when you were up at mi- playing at Michigan tech, didn't you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I swear it was like 10 years, like eight, nine, nine out of the last 10 years or something. There was a run where the Gophers played at the Winter Carnival. And it's, I mean, that place is insane anyway, but when it's Winter Carnival, it's even worse. It's like on booze, you know, it's on drugs, right? It's just crazy up there. Oh, yeah. The, a lot of a lot of great memories uh, with college hockey that I'm, I'm sure we're going to talk about uh, as we progress through this yeah we'd wear all right well before we get to the college let's let's learn a little bit about lance growing up uh you mentioned before the show you're come from a uh three other siblings walk through where where do you fit in the family what did what did you guys do what was a typical uh summer afternoon look like at the pitlick house during the summer 
Well, it's it's a long story. So I, I'll try to condense it into clip notes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was born in Fridley, Minnesota, and lived in Blaine. Yeah. Uh, the hospital was in Fridley. Literally, when you come out of the Blaine Super Rink, yeah, and come to, come to the stoplight to get on 65 to go to 610 or whatever. Uh, that trailer park right yeah. across the street from that, that's where I grew up. No uh, way. As a kid, yeah. That, that's uh, that's where we lived until I was probably uh, five or six. And then we moved uh, right by the Blaine High School, behind the Blaine High School. Um, and it was my brother and I at, at the time um, played youth hockey there. Uh, my best friend, Brent Simmy. Really? <laughs> I remember his phone number, his mom's phone number still. Uh, but, you know, I had a great childhood uh, up until um, probably going into fifth grade. And then, you know, our, my brother and I, our world got turned upside down when we found out our parents were splitting up. So my mom packed up my brother and I, and we moved to New Hope. Minnesota with my my grandparents John and Zita and my uncle at the time Todd was was still uh, living there uh, and that's where the transition started so it was uh, you know divorce is never fun for anyone it, it was a tough thing to deal with uh, as a kid but we were lucky to have uh, a strong network of uh, family to to get us through there. Uh, cause I, you know, I didn't, I didn't have any friends when you move, you yeah. know, you don't have friends to, to talk about and stuff. Uh, but, uh, the first person that I met, uh, is a guy named Chris Hansen. Uh, and today we're, we're still best friends. Um, we're actually going on a fishing trip up in Canada. We do an annual, him and I, this will be our third one up in uh, Northern Saskatchewan at a place called Wollaston Lake Lodge. But yeah, so it was tough. Uh, but, you know, once I met him, uh, my family got through it. And uh, my brother and I just kind of, you know, progressed, however, the best that you can. Uh, my mom was working two jobs just to try to get us out of uh, her parents' place in order right. to get our own place. Uh, so I didn't see her a lot. So my, my grandparents, my uncle, and um, Chris's parents, actually, uh, they were the ones that would run us around to different things that we had, sports and stuff. Um, as a kid, I played, uh, I played soccer. I played baseball. And I played hockey. I played football for a couple years. Uh, but I think right around by the age of 12, uh, is when I, I gave up all the sports and it, kind of a funny story how I gave up soccer. We were playing at that, uh, that big complex over there off of 65 in Blaine, uh, where the big water tower is. Yeah. And we lost in the championship game, you know, I'm like 11 and shaking hands and some kid chirped me, you know, we were battling during the, the game and he chirped me when we were walking, walking by each other. So I punched him in the stomach. Uh, <laughs> my mom didn't let me play soccer anymore after that. So that's how I got rid of soccer. Uh, <laughs> What's your mom's name? I, I, it's got an interesting name. I remember we did Punky. this. Punky? Punky yeah, it's her nickname. Her, her maiden name, uh, her given name is Armella. Okay. But everyone called her Punky. So, yeah, so Punky said no more soccer for you after that little display. Uh, 
so then uh, football, I didn't really, um, I hated practices in football. <laughs> you know, it's just hot. and uh, You're getting your head you crushed in too. Yeah. You know, so I did that for a couple of years. And then baseball, I, I played, I, I didn't mind baseball because it was, you know, something that you play with your buddies, even if you're not in an uh, organized uh, team. But uh, I was a catcher and I developed what's called Osgood Slaughter's disease. Yes. Which yeah, on your knees. Yeah, yeah. And you get, you got extreme knee pain. So uh, that happened. I was in a back then, they, they, they put you on a, one of those uh, Velcro full length casts. And this basically, you can only take it off when you're showering or. Yeah. Um, so I, I gave it up there and uh, I was out for a season and I never went back and just basically focused on playing hockey. And I was still doing all the other sports, uh, probably similar to you, but just not on an organized team. You know, right, lived right across the street from a hockey rink, a tennis court, a basketball uh, court and uh, baseball diamonds. Yeah. It was a huge park. Uh, so we were always doing something. Uh, sports related and that's kind of what i remember my childhood in the winter i was over on the pond all the time and you know during the summers with my buddies we were playing tennis basketball baseball swimming you know riding a bike right and bmx bikes and bikes oh, yeah. really you so, know yeah, let me guess if, if you had a bmx bike eventually you guys figured out how to get a long board and some bricks and jump off of it too correct oh yeah yeah there, there were uh there was a park that some dad built, uh, you know, with all the jumps and stuff. So we spent a lot of time there. It was, uh, you know, back then there wasn't the, the skate parks that they no. have now for skateboarding. But, uh, you know, we had a spot to go to as a group and, you know, we would go there regularly. I remember we had as kids, some kid broke his arm, you know, doing one of our BMX jumps, right? So, of course, all the moms banded together, no more jumping. So, what do you think that meant? More jumping, but we just hid it from <laughs> our parents, right? Yeah. Um, okay, so I got to understand this. Uh, th- th- uh, I want a little bit more about Punky here. So, what kind of jobs was she working? Because, you know, it's not cheap having kids, and I'm sure it was hard. To, to make ends meet on a single income? You know, I, uh, <laughs> but I'll just say before uh, we get into her, her uh, what she did, but she was, you know, competitive roller skating. Like yeah. Where they do the loops and they bump into each other. Oh, like that, roller derby? That, yeah, that was my mom, you know, in her late teens, early 20s doing that uh, as, just for fun. Uh, and she, she ended up uh, becoming a meat a, a meat a butcher. She worked in a, a butcher factory, um, and this was a meat cutter. And stayed in that industry. Uh, ended up uh, getting a job. I uh, with now what was it called? It's not. Uh, it was this a grocery chain? Um, Red Owl or anymore. But she just worked uh, in the in the meat department at a, at a grocery store for you know basically her whole life, uh, and then retired. Uh, so we always had uh, a lot of good protein in our house. <laughs> yeah, that's that's awesome. So so how did you? At what point uh, did you know that hey, hockey is what I'm I'm good at, and hey, I might have a chance to play in college. You know that's a great question because. 
you know, I get in front of a lot of players uh, with what I do, um, a lot of passionate players. And, you know, that's the question that I ask them is the first time they meet him is what, what do you want to accomplish? Because no one ever asked me that question. Like, what do you want to accomplish in the sport? How far do you want to take this? So I asked him that question. And for me, I, it was probably um, my senior year in high school, which is crazy that it was that long, um, that I thought I had a chance to play past high school. And the reason it took so long is, you know, I didn't, no one talked to me. I didn't have any colleges talking to me right. uh, until after my senior year. Uh, and I got probably four or five letters in the mail uh, from North Dakota, I think. Oh, but, you know, Duluth, uh, Minnesota. I didn't get one from Minnesota, I don't think. Right. Maybe Wisconsin and a couple smaller schools. Um, but once that happened, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And then all of a sudden, my uh, high school coach, his name was Ken Staples, uh, beautiful man, um, just the salt of the earth. He, he was a teacher at Cooper, and I passed by him in the hall in between classes, and he goes, hey, come over here. And he says, uh, I got a call from the Gophers. Um, they want to come over and meet with you, and I. Uh, you want to do it in the next couple of days? I'm like, yeah, you know, the sooner the better. So uh, Bill Butters, who was in charge at the time, he was assistant coach at the U at the time, yep. was, was – uh, the guy that recruited all the defensemen and we met with them and I had a conversation that was awesome. And the reason it was awesome is because he just sat there and, and told me and my coach what he loved about my game. And, uh, you know, it was a great recognition of, you know, all the, the years that you put into trying to get as good as you can at a sport. And he ended it with saying, we want you to be a gopher. Um, so they offered me a half a scholarship and I, I accepted like on the spot and that's how, uh, I ended up going to the university of Minnesota. So how did they see you? Uh, was it just at, at a late conference type of game, regular season? Or was this postseason at maybe an all-star event or how did, how did they, how, because it wasn't like you were playing for Edina or Jefferson or one of those Burnsville. You know, no offense to Cooper, but you guys were not really a, a highly a spotlight team. No, we uh, we weren't um, kind of a body bottom feeder team, you know. But we we were competitive a couple of years, but uh, I, I think Butts uh, got there was someone his last name I believe is Hanson. They forgive me, I can't remember what the first name of the guy is, but had told him about me, and he went and watched a, a game or two and um, I think I was the type of player that he really liked uh, you know that really didn't care about scoring goals it was more about trying to change uh, the, the tempo or the momentum of a game with a, a great defensive player a big hit and um, you know I was, I was someone that made people upset especially <laughs> parents I remember we were playing in a Oh God, it was up in Northern Minnesota, Rosso or something in a tournament when I was a peewee, I think. And back then peewees, you still had checking. Right. And I don't know how I got really good at hitting people and why it, 
it was fun for me, but I remember just rocking some kids' world at the time because uh, I had really good lateral movement, and I, I looked at eyes. You know, when the eyes were down, that that's was- when I moved. And uh, I hit this kid, and after the game, the mom of the kid apparently, <laughs> she she came up to me and just said, you should not be allowed to ever play hockey, <laughs> ever. You're horrible. You're a horrible person. Yeah. Uh, so, I, and I didn't feel bad at that. I'm like, all right, that's kind of cool. I like that feeling. So, uh, that from that moment on, uh, cheers of the crowd when you you made a big hit, uh, or the boos of the, of the crowd uh, when you're on the road or in someone else's building. That that just fueled me to to do more of that. It's it's weird because that's forgive me for saying this. That's what I thought of when I thought of Lance Pitlick. Uh, during your gopher years was, okay, we need a big hit. The gophers need a big hit. Um, and you could deliver it, you know, hip check, body check, whatever. And it was always, it was like you could feel the momentum change after a big hit. And I'm not talking dirty hit. I mean, these are, you know, body to body, shoulder to shoulder, just tattoo guys into the boards kind of hits. Well, did you feel did did you feel your teammates asking to do that, or did you just kind of do it your do it on without ask being told to do it? No, uh, I I didn't. <laughs> it's funny that you bring that question up because that did happen where a player you know would ask me to go out and do what I did, but no, as when I played for the Gophers, uh, it was this you know that was here's a guy that you know knows his skill set. You know, I knew I wasn't the great, greatest puck handler, shooter, whatever, but I knew what my strength was, and uh, that was taking advantage of players that weren't aware of me when I was on the ice with them. Uh, they had their head down too long, or they bobbled the puck, uh, and we usually had a meet and greet then. Right. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> you know, that, and, you know, it's a role that, much like years ago when there was a designated tough guy on an NHL team, a fighter, uh, you know, that's a role on a team. And, you know, I, I tried to fulfill it the best that I could because I knew that others were unwilling to do it on a, you know, week to week basis. And, uh, you know, I ended up parlaying that into a, a nice NHL professional career. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. I want to, I want to get a little bit further. Let's just keep it in the youth for a second. Was the was the rivalry between Armstrong and Cooper as strong as it was with say Washburn and Southwest or Edina and and Minnetonka or Jefferson Kennedy or you know th- did you feel a big rivalry there? I never went to a Cooper Armstrong game, but I, I saw a lot of rivalries in the eighties myself. I'm just curious what it was like. Oh, it was huge! It was huge. I mean, New Hope Arena uh, back then only had one rink. And, and I'm guessing it's the original, the original rink there is the one with the wooden roof, correct? Oh, yeah, the arched wooden roof. I mean, it's just gorgeous in there. They just put a new, uh, a new rink in there, um, or boards, boards and uh, stuff. So it's, it looks awesome. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a huge rivalry. And uh, today, the, if, when you go into that old rink on the far side across, it's now uh, fenced in, it's yep. got... I was stick handling, shooting, yep, training. Uh, yeah. Uh, but back then, when I played, that that was bleachers. Bleachers. Uh, and it was jammed. I mean, it was you. It would be sold out every game. Uh, 
It was awesome. I remember, I think it was my junior year, uh, sitting in the locker room before the game, and I open up my bag, and I don't have my skates in there. Oh, God. No cell <laughs> phones, like, right? No cell phones, and I'm, you know, it's it's like five minutes before we're going out for warm-ups because I always put my skates on uh, right at the end. So there was a door right out of the back of our locker room that went to the side of the parking lot. So I ran out of there, got in my car, raced home, got my skates, and I, I got back in time where literally it was 30 seconds before they were going to drop the puck, and I got on the ice. And uh, I think that game I ended up scoring a hat trick. I, I don't know if I've ever had a hat trick in my life. You should I do that, that more. Trick. You should have done that more often. <laughs> so, yeah, no, it was a big rivalry, and those were always uh, special games. And, you know, Armstrong had some uh, – you know, talented players as well. You know, De- Dennis Fasty. Yes, he, he was our age. Him. Yeah. Yeah. He and I were uh, childhood friends. And, um, you know, when I, I was supposed to go to Armstrong, but transferred over there. So we were teammates for many, many years. And then uh, once we went to high school, that shifted. Okay, quick question. You just brought this just hit me now. You were New Hope Hockey Association. Were Armstrong and Cooper connected at youth, and then you would split up at high school, kind of like uh, Lakeville does? No, no, I'm trying to think, kind of like Osseo Maple Grove does now? Yeah, back then it was, uh, you had the New Hope Youth Hockey Program, and yep. then you had Crystal. Oh, so they were separate. Yeah, so it, it, New uh, Hope was more Armstrong, and, and I'm guessing Crystal was more Cooper? Yes. Okay. Yes. So you you grew up an Armstrong kid, pretty much for I grew up at an youth hockey. Kid. Okay. Yeah, all right. My, my brothers and sisters all went to Armstrong. So you're the only Cooper one. I'm the only Cooper one. <laughs> now I, I see if I got this right. Uh, I'm cheating here. Um, Todd Sinjim is a mutual friend of ours. Was he? A, was he? He must have grown up. He was on your team every year, right? Yes. Any other I, any other good? Because I know he was good. I remember him being a good player. Any other stars, any hockey guys that you remember from the Cooper teams that were good? You know, Sinjum, he was he was the professor. He just kind of rocked it at a medium pace and just controlled the tempo of the game. Uh, we had uh, Todd Holt, who yep. was uh, he was a kind of a power forward. Um, you know, uh, we had a goalie. Lars Char that came over somehow we got a European goalie from Norway. Really? <laughs> Come over, yeah. Uh and it was all all uh legit and he was really good. That was the year that we it was the only year that we might have had a chance to to make it out of uh you know the first round of right. the playoffs. And I think we ended up losing to Minnetonka or Edina. Uh, that year, but that that was the one year that you know we might have had a chance. So you know, no real rock stars on our team, just a bunch of meat and potato type of players. Yeah. Uh, what's interesting here's here's an interesting story is that I didn't even uh, Ben Myers yep. go for yes, uh, you told me this. Yeah, I didn't even know that I played with his dad in high school, Steve. <laughs> Steve Meyer, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's interesting because I, I was up at some charity event in Duluth a number of years ago, and I was talking to some ex-player, I can't remember who it is, but you know, I told him about that, that you know, you run into people that you went to high school with, and this is after you know, I've, I've been playing pro for a number of years, and 
I said, uh, you know, people come up and they'll talk about a high school event, a game, a play, whatever. And I just don't remember that stuff anymore. And he told me, he says, that's because, you know, for most hockey players, their career is over at high school. So that's when their memories stop and they're, they're fresh. Correct. And then as a player, you know, you, you still have years and years of all these hockey memories. And at some point, you know, you don't remember some of the stuff. So, uh, yeah, I, I just, I remember my high school years as just being wonderful. You know, once I got over there uh, after my parents got divorced and uh, got settled in, it was just a normal, uh, just fun, memorable childhood. Uh, last question on the on the youth side. Uh, who is, you had to have had some volunteer, maybe dad's, uh, non-parent, I don't know, maybe even the high school coach. You talked a little bit about Coach Staples. Who was your favorite coach uh, pre-college that you remember who taught you some good lessons? You know, it would it would be my Uncle Todd, who um, was the assistant coach for the football team. I played a couple years, uh, three years in high school after not playing forever. But that, that summer, he, when I decided to transfer over to, to Cooper, he was the assistant coach there, and he just said, hey, you should come out for football. Uh, and I was like, all right. So I did that, and uh, what position are you going to play? Or, you know, I asked that. What He said quarterback. <laughs> I said, what? The quarterback is the smartest human being on the planet, you know, on the football field. <laughs> I said, I have zero uh, attributes to do that position. He says, we'll teach you. we got great running backs, a, a great line. Um and, you know, you just got to learn how to hand the ball off and do a pitches and little tight end dumps. No, I never, I feel bad because whoever was a, a wide receiver, you know, a deep guy going for passes, I never threw the ball deep. It was just like 10 yard passes. So, so. did you play quarterback all the way through your senior year? I played, uh, I did. Wow. Uh, I did. I, I, my sophomore year, I played uh, JV. And, well, here's another story. So there, there was a guy that was uh, that I played with, who was the quarterback that was playing ahead of me, my first year. And um, you know, when you're the when you're the alpha dog, you know, you're maybe not as kind. Yeah, <laughs> to the, right. Someone who's coming to so go through that season. I played JV football, and then hockey season starts. And because I transferred, I didn't know a lot of guys. I mean, I knew of them, but didn't know them. Yeah. So, and I didn't know the high school coach uh, as well, Kenny Staples. So, child's first day, and I didn't know that the the starting quarterback that year was also a hockey player, and he was a forward, and I was a defenseman. Uh, and I, I swear that it was literally the first or second shift of tryouts, and that it was a scrimmaging that first day where he came down. He he came down on me, had the puck, and tried a little inside out move, and had his head down and I smoked him and knocked him out cold, like where his arms are, you know, up in the air. Right. And uh, so I, I started skating towards the bench and right away, Kenny Staples jumped out onto the ice and he's running across and he always wore cowboy boots. And as we passed each other, as he's going to attend to the injured player out of the corner of his mouth, he goes, you just made the team kid. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, my uncle, my uncle Todd, uh, Joel Harmon was another football coach that worked with me that summer. Uh, and then Kenny Staples were probably the most impactful people 
um, for me at that time. Um, I just remember this, that, uh, your Cooper football team, because we played you, I think my senior year, um, we were terrible. So don't take glee that you beat us like 50 to nothing, but you guys we were had, terrible. <laughs> I know. I'm like, we got a chance. Maybe no, they killed us. Um, but I believe you guys had a defensive end who might've gone to the university, correct? We had a few football players. Um, what was the guy's name? Uh, Mike Sunbold went that to was university. It. That was it. Yeah, he was good. Yeah, and then we had uh, we had uh, Cal McDaniel. I think uh, he went to play at North Dakota. So you know, he was Mike Sunbowl was probably the 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 one that uh, made it the furthest uh, out of that group. But it was a, it was fun. You know, I enjoyed it. I if I had to go back, would I do it again in today's time? No. No. I know, isn't that sad? It's just too much of a wreck on your body. Well, yeah, that, I mean, that's the thing. If it, you know, I didn't, at that time, I didn't know I was going to play college hockey. So playing football was just something to, you know, another objective to, to chase. Right. Uh, and who doesn't want to, you know, play football Friday nights, oh, you know, in front of all your, your kids, you know, your friends and family. So, you know, it was great, but I, I don't think uh, today, you know, if, if one of my kids at that time said all of a sudden at 10th grade they want to play football but knew that they wanted to play college hockey, I would say no. Yeah, I know. It's it's, it's a rough sport, that's for sure. All right, let's 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 move on to the University of Minnesota uh, years. Uh, you guys made it to three Frozen Fours. Anything jump out at you besides the, uh, the one at – the at the Civic Center, the heartbreaker at the Civic Center. Anything from memories perspective? Um, I got a couple because again, I was a big Gopher fan at the time, and and we were the same age. So uh, mine, I went to the Detroit one and watched North Dakota fans cheer against the Gophers, which was the beginning of my hatred of University of North Dakota at the time. <laughs> uh, what was your memories of those? Was it Lake Placid? Was it? Uh, Civic Center, what what jumps out at you about those those frozen fours? Uh, each one has a moment, but they they basically all end with the same story. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, we didn't win, but yeah, the '89 when that we we were really good. We were deep. We had some amazing players. Uh, you know, and having Rob Stauber as, as your goalie. Uh, you know, it just, it was another defenseman out there. So it made all our D's job that much easier, but, uh, you know, you go through that, that season and, you know, it was just every, someone always came through. Um, and we made it to another final four, which, uh, you know, we weren't able to solve, but, uh, being able to play there in front of, uh, the home fans, uh, losing the way we did, I mean, that, that stung. But as I tell the players that I train, you know, those are the, the moments that make the, the championships that you, you eventually get so much more sweeter. And it also fuels the, the passion to, you know, dig a little deeper uh, than the year before in prep for a, for a hockey season, you know, and your, the extra work that you put in in the weight room, you know, shooting pucks, stick handling, whatever it is. Yeah, for sure. So I'm going to read off the recruiting class that came into the U in the fall of 86, and I'm just wanting to see if you can uh, 
comment on a few of these guys here. I'm going to read the list of the guys you came, you came in with. Pete Hankinson, Scott Bloom, John Anderson, Rob Stauber, Randy Scarda, Jeff Paletti, and Blaine Rude. Those guys all showed up that fall. What did you think of these guys? Were you guys nervous? Were you guys excited? Uh, were you guys cocky? Were you guys, you know, what, what, what do you remember about that first, you know, kick at the can? So I can't speak for any one of the other guys, but uh, and I, you might have to bleep this out, but I was scared shitless. Uh, <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I, I had spent the summer before uh, going in, and, you know, it's different now. Back then, it was you graduate from high school, you go right into college. Right. Um, so Minnesota always had uh, true freshmen going in there. Um, so it, yeah, I was scared and I didn't play right away. Um, it, it took a number of weekends to, to get an opportunity. And I think that's, you know, what coaches do, you know, you give your loyalty to the players that have been there for the first few years. And, um, if some guys aren't performing, then you're going to give the young guys a chance. And, um, but, uh, you know, all these guys that you mentioned were were heavily recruited. Uh, Casey Hankinson and I were, I believe, the only two players out of that recruiting class that um, were on a half scholarship. Everyone else is on a full scholarship, and we were both late ads uh, to that team. Uh, and what's ironic is that our senior year, the two guys that were on a half scholarship ended up being the captains of the team our senior year. So you said we, Casey, but I think you meant Pete, right? Or Peter. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. 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 I did. You do so many podcasts. I just did a <laughs> podcast with, uh, Benny with Benny. I know. <laughs> I saw that. I saw that. And I wanted to spend a little time on Pete too, because, um, talk about, probably the most unheralded of the three Hankinsons, but by far the most athletic of the three. Would you agree? Yeah. Uh, he was so skilled and so smart. Um, I remember, you know, we were, we used to, after college, we would go, um, a group of us for a number of years, we'd go up to the boundary waters or go to someone's cabin, um, and just, you know, be together and in golf and i was two years in a row as with peter this is how skilled he was and this is after he retired from uh playing shot like a, a 68 the first day and then the next day he shot a 67. i've never been with anyone that <laughs> had a round of golf like that i mean it was just crazy but it just reminded me of his hockey days that you know you, you were just amazed to see the plays that the kid can make and I always ask myself, why can't I do that? <laughs> yeah, he's pretty gifted. Uh, I think he's he's a member at Bear Path and has the course record there. So like, 60, oh, really? yeah, yeah. I mean, it just it, it it wasn't like he just hung him up. You know, he's just a pretty gifted guy and pretty funny guy. I was I like Pete a lot. Yeah. Um, all right, one, a couple, you, you mentioned Robbie Stauber. I want to talk about him because you said he was another defenseman. And I think if people don't know this, I'm just going to tell you my description. I remember seeing him in the state tournament playing for Denfeld his senior year. And I got to know him because of golf as well. He was in the state tournament for golf. Um, but he would play the puck like 
he was like almost a pioneer in goalies playing the puck. And you were as deep, you were with him for, I think, three seasons. What was it like to have a guy who actually played the puck compared to your goalie in high school or the other goalies that you played with? Oh, it was crazy. Uh, I never had to go back behind the net for the puck. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You know. I just went off to the side and was an outlet pass for him. So, yeah, he was special. He was different. And uh, one of the, the biggest reasons that we had the success at the University of Minnesota that we did those uh, three years making it to the final four was because of uh, his play. Uh, he was brilliant. Uh, he... He covered for everyone, especially me, several times during a game. Um, and I, you know, I just try to block a shot once in a while so he can take a break from the onslaught that he saw once in a while. So he was an amazing goalie and pretty cool that he's still part of the game, passing on, yeah. you know, what he learned and uh, to help these other goalies try to do great things. He, uh, my... Here's my takeaway with Rob, and I've gotten to know him on a couple different layers, golf course, hockey, um, and, and now running his goalie stuff and with the Olympics. Um, he's pretty intense. Um, did he ever did, – did Coach Woog, when he maybe went a little bit outside, went out of bounds a little bit playing the puck, did any of the coaches, the coaching staff at, at the U get after him for being too daring, too dangerous sometimes? I, you know what? I don't think so. Um, I never I got the impression that the coaches were ripping their hair out when he was doing it. I, but I could see somebody maybe, right? I think that maybe uh, they were ripping their hairs out at times. <laughs> but uh, I think it's an unwritten rule with goalies, uh, especially if they're, you know, if you're winning. I mean, just leave them alone. Uh, don't even talk to them. And uh, that that's one thing that I, I find – I guess I just realized, you know, goalies were labeled, they still are, as kind of the oddball right. of, of hockey. And to me, I, you know, over time of learning, um, you know, mental visualization, mental training and stuff like that, I think they're pioneers that, you know, the, the quietness and the oddballness is, is their preparation for a game. Um, and they just figured it out before – most people did. Um, so he, he he was a technician, and he was very serious. And when he got onto the rink, uh, I remember not even talking to him. You know, right. He just he left alone until the game was over. Uh, yeah, he goalies see the game from a completely different perspective than the D and the forwards. Yeah. And I think it's that's why a lot of goalies become successful head coaches. Yeah, and you know, I mean, that's he. Uh, he's he's done some pretty cool things with uh, with coaching career as well. So yeah, uh, great great player, uh, great times there. Uh, I I can't. I'm I'm so grateful to be able to have had that experience there. Uh, so many great people that you met the blue liners uh, hanging out at Stub and Herbs, right? Ross Seeing, you know, it's just, it, it was just fabulous. Quick question here. Here's two guys. I, I would call them glue guys in the, in those teams. You know, everyone thinks I'm going to talk about Chorsky and Snuggerud and some of those guys, but two guys I think who didn't get enough credit in those years would be John Anderson and Brett Strote. Those guys were 
when when the chips were down, those guys seemed to always come through clutch. What was your interaction with those guys? Because they were definitely JV guys. They were brought in to be on the JV, but Coach Wu couldn't afford not to have them in the lineup every night late in their career. Yeah, you know, and that's the they were pretty heavily recruited. I think um, had great high school careers, and you know, for some players, you you just don't get the same opportunity at the next level. And, you know, when you go to a school like Minnesota, um, it's really competitive. Uh, you know, it's, it's one of the, you know, the most successful programs around as far as year after year being really competitive. So uh, those guys were, again, I think they're, they're players that fit into a mold that Bill Butters loves and he just, he loves the underdog. He loves the the overachiever, uh, and those guys were, you know, two players that made the most out of the opportunities and eventually were rewarded by being an everyday player on the lineup by the time their career ended. Stroats guy who's still coaching. He's down in Florida. You're down in Florida now, right? I am. I am. He's, yeah. He's I, still involved, really. Like he's like Tampa. Where Where are you down in Florida right now? Uh, Treasure Islands. Okay. On, on the golf side. Yeah. Got it. Got it. All right. Uh, a couple, a uh, couple NCAA questions for you here. Um, what was, uh, who was your team's biggest rival? Cause you could make a case. There's probably three of them, which was the one where you just, you know, you really got up for, uh, when you guys were playing. Uh, for me, it was probably Wisconsin. Um, the Badgers didn't like the red and whites. Um, still don't, but I train a lot of players that go there. So <laughs> yes, I, yes. I accepted. So yeah, those, those were incredible rivalries. Uh, the energy in the building, uh, be it on the road or at home, uh, was, was just incredible. Uh, and, and both teams were, were really good at the time. I mean, yeah. uh, we had Rob Stauber, I think Wisconsin back then had Mike Richter, um, so they were very competitive, spirited games. And I remember the one thing I remember from that series, uh, and I hope that, <laughs> uh, well, I'm just going to say it. <laughs> right. So Tom Sagasor was, uh, he was, they, Doug Wood wanted him bad, I believe. Uh, really? Yeah. Okay. And, uh, he ended up going to Wisconsin. So I don't know if something was said in the paper or whatever, but I know that, you know, there was a little bit of that animosity between the two of them um, after the recruiting process ended and he decided to go to Wisconsin. So anyways, I think it was my, my freshman year. We're playing in Wisconsin and he, he was uh, playing on the right side and he cuts across the blue line um, over to my coming towards me and he had his head down and I just stepped up and I, I mean, I smoked him. His helmet got turned around and he didn't get up for a little bit. So I went over to the bench and I, I did, I get a little tap on the shoulder from Wooger and he just gives me a nice head. Attaboy. Attaboy. <laughs> 
This oh, was this would have been in the Dane County Coliseum. Now that place, I'd been there. I went a couple times. Maybe I was even at the game you're talking about. But they had. You don't even realize this. You're just in the. You're in the the locker room and on the ice. You don't see it. But this place, the alcohol consumption by per capita in that rink, it's like nothing I've ever seen anywhere. And I've been to a lot of different. Barnes, uh, it was crazy. Did you pick up on that when you were playing there, that, that the atmosphere was like times two anywhere else because they were serving alcohol? I, To be honest with you, I couldn't tell you if they were serving alcohol or not there, but the one thing that I remember about Dane County Coliseum is that the national anthem, when we had that, they would have the cheerleaders <laughs> straight in front of us during the national anthem, like up on the, uh, in the stands, but they would, they'd be straight in front of us. And you couldn't help but look. Um, <laughs> and so I don't know if that was a tactic to kind of get us distracted a little bit, but no, like I said, the energy in those games, I mean, it was, it was pretty spirited and, um, oh, here's another story, Bill Butter's story. So it was my first weekend in Wisconsin and there was a, a scrum and I, uh, this is early. Like I haven't played many games, and there was a scrum in front of the net in the offensive zone. And you know, all of a sudden, there's there's a big meeting of everyone, and there's being you know hand face washing and punches right. thrown. So I didn't know what to do. So all of a sudden, there's a, like a pileup. A couple guys fell, and people are on the ground. So I just skate from the my point and to the pile and I just dove into the pile on top of some, like literally dove into the pile and latched on to some guy in a red jersey and started doing that, you know, got penalties for doing stupid stuff. But that's when Butts had educated me, you know, many times over the course of my career that that what you just did there, that's not the right play. And, uh, you know, that's how he would, he would, uh, you know, wouldn't yell at you, you know, he would, how can you yell at a guy that's just trying to protect teammates and stuff like that? No, I think that. it was it was it illegal too, or just the wrong play? I think it might have been illegal by then. Oh, it was, yeah, it was illegal to to go in, right? You know, in the offensive zone. Yeah, so we got a penalty, and I probably got an extra one for doing that. But you know, that's that's the evolution of a career. You know, uh, no one had I, I had never experienced a moment like that in a game before. Uh, and then I did, and I didn't know what to do. I, I reacted, and it was the wrong play, and I never did that again. No, it's interesting because that, that used to not be a rule. And then I think sometime in our generation, sometime in the 80s, uh, they did change that, that you can't – defensemen can't go below the dots, right, or the top of the circle, right? Yep, yep. All right, uh, here's a question for you. Uh, who's the one guy, and he, you might know him to this day or don't never haven't seen him since college. Who's the one guy you played with, I'm assuming against WCHA because you saw him four times a year. Uh, who's the one guy who you just hated to play against, uh, whether it be a forward, a goalie, defenseman, you know, you kind of scrapped in front of the net with. Who was your biggest rival, personal rival, who you didn't like to play against back in the day? College? Uh... I, besides being the team like Wisconsin or Duluth, I mean, any of your big North Dakota, uh, I guess the only player that I can say from my college year was uh, my first year, it was Tony Herkus for North Dakota. Uh, they call him the Herkus Circus because <laughs> you just couldn't stop the guy. But I, I, I guess I, 
I was frustrated because I couldn't, you know, he was so good. Uh, I didn't hate him. The, the one player I hated was when I turned pro and a guy named by the name of uh, Darcy Tucker. Yep. Uh, he and I just, it was gas and water anytime we're on the ice. I mean, he, he's an agitator. I, I'm trying to get under his skin. And I remember I was playing down in Florida and he and I got in a fight. Um, and my son Ram had saw the fight and he was young. He was like four years old. <laughs> I get home from the road trip and the first thing he comes up to me and says, he goes, dad, I hate Darcy Tucker. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to get the first fight here in just a minute. Uh, that kind of wraps up the college angle. I want to talk a bit about your, you know, progression into pro cause you were drafted by the North stars, out of high school, but that's back when they had like 12 rounds and you were a ninth rounder. Um, the thought of pro, when did that kind of go away and when did it kind of, because it kind of had to have gone away by college. Did you rights expire? How much did you talk to the North Stars when you were in college or did it just kind of, was it just they had your rights and you, because they probably didn't even have pro camps back then, did they, like they do now? No, I mean, it was, you were drafted and, you know, like you mentioned, uh, later round pick being the ninth round, uh, they're just hoping someday that, you know, you develop into an NHL or pro professional player. So I, I, I was drafted my senior year and uh, didn't, you know, I wasn't watching the draft, didn't even know what was going on, to be honest with you. Um, someone just one day, like a couple days later said, hey, congratulations on being drafted. And I'm like, what? Um, that's how unimportant it was. But for me, uh, with the North Stars, they, when it came time to, to sign with them, my senior year with the Gophers, I ended up uh, getting hurt. Uh, I ended up going back for a puck that was dumped out into the neutral zone, transitioned from forward to backwards and then uh, backwards to forward. And when I did that last transition, I popped my groin and what it felt like. Uh, and it ended up being a sports hernia, but back then they didn't know uh, what that was. I should have been out six weeks, but I was out for six months until uh, I had surgery. So I missed my senior year, the majority of it, and the North Stars were going into that transition where they were going to have the players swap when San Jose came right. into the mix. Uh, so I, I was one of those players. Bobby Clark was the GM of the North Stars at the time, and he offered me a contract, um, a nice contract, not I mean, for, for me. I mean, it wasn't much, but uh, it was good. You know, was, I could still play and make some money. But he offered it, and I called my parents. They organized, like, a dinner with a bunch of family. And, like, four hours later, I get a call from my agent, Jeff Solomon. He said that they took the offer off the table. Um <sighs> And his reasoning was they didn't want to put any money into a player that they might lose in a year, uh, you know, right. whatever they're saying, whatever they're going to say. So I, I was, uh, I, I was not drafted, you know, I was a free agent. So Glenn Sonmark, who I know, you know, yep. he, he was the big pusher. Uh, he was with the North Stars at the time when, uh, and was my biggest advocate or not advocate, but supporter of, yeah. uh, uh to get me drafted and he was with Philly at the time. So I asked my agent to call him and just see if there might be an opportunity with Philadelphia. And 
uh, I give the guy credit. I, you know, he got me drafted with the North Stars, and within 24 hours, he had the exact same contract uh, on the table, and that's how I ended up uh, signing with Philly. Quick question. Was Glenn Sonmore the radio voice of the Gophers when you were in school, or did that come later? No, he wasn't. It's, he was just uh, a scout at that time. Yeah, I don't. Okay. Yeah, I think he was just a scout. Yeah, because just quick, Glenn, his some of his radio uh, uh, color commentary is legendary, and I'm not sure if you ever <laughs> listened to him. On the, did you ever listen to him on the radio? Uh, it, yes, it's and, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Like I wish they were all like that, right? Oh, I, w- I wish we could have him on the podcast. Yeah, you know? he was special. He was special in a good way. Such a positive guy. Oh yeah, he was. He's brilliant man, and you know, just super passionate for the sport, and you know, positively, positively uh, impacted so many people. Oh, yeah, just with, just with his. Uh, I know that he outreached out to people who were uh, chemical de- chemically dependent. I mean, I guess by the dozens or the hundreds that he, the people that he helped sponsor and and get sober. Yeah, yeah, good uh, man. All right, so so the Flyers AHL team is the Hershey Bears, correct? Correct. Oh my gosh, this is this is the part of the pot I've been waiting for. I hear so many great things about. Hershey, Pennsylvania, Hershey's chocolate, um, the barn there. Tell me your memories. Again, you said you have so many different hockey memories. Walk through those years playing for Hershey. It's kind of when you when you look back, it's like, well, that's a pretty pretty cool place to play. So, you know, if you think of gopher hockey, uh, especially back then. There were only two players in the four years that I played for the Gophers that were not from Minnesota. Yep. Uh, Can I name them? Can I name them? You want me to name them? Uh, Let's see if you got it. Frank and uh, McSwain. Johnny Blue. Who's the first? Johnny Johnny Blue. Blue Frank Peterangelo. Nope, just uh, John. I didn't play with uh, Peterangelo. Oh, you didn't? Okay, so John John Blue and Steve McSwain. Those two, yeah. Yep. John Blue is from California, and uh, Steve was from Alaska. Alaska. Yeah. So here I am going to this magical place with money in my pocket, a brand new car, uh, you know, leaving Minnesota for the first time to be gone longer than I've ever been, and you go to Hershey, and it's it's like Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. <laughs> you know, it's you you walk around and it smells like chocolate there. And it really down, does. It does. Oh, and God. you can tell what they're making. And they have, uh, <clears throat> in the downtown area, they they have Hershey Kisses for street lights. Um, really? And during, uh, yeah. And in prep for for the holiday season, they have, uh, they have a, like a valley fair, you know, a, a park with roller coaster, you know, Ferris wheel, all that stuff uh, that they decorate with over a million lights uh it, it's i think it's called Candyland or something uh and it's just awesome so you know i, I went there and it it, it was awesome you, you don't have school anymore and that's the one thing you know players would always come back after they turned pro uh at the u and they would say how hard the the pro season is how hard can it be? I mean, you don't have to study. All you're doing is playing games and practices, but you just, you, you don't know, <laughs> you know, how 
stacked a schedule is and what impact travel has. I mean, having to go on a 12 hour bus trip after just playing two games in a row and then having your third game, uh, an afternoon game after, you know, driving on a bus for 12 hours. I mean, it's tough and it wipes you out. So, you know, I, I, I grew up a lot that first year, uh, learned a lot and, you know, like I said, I only played with two guys that weren't from Minnesota. And now you're on a team that has players from everywhere in the world. Um, so it was amazing just to, to learn and meet these people from different places that you, you heard of, but they're actually from it. And you just grow as, as a person um, through all these experiences. So, uh, you know, I played four years there and every year was was just great i had mike eaves as a coach uh, really that's I, what the next question who were your coaches yeah mike eaves was my, my my first coach there and he was great because uh he was so enthusiastic and he was he was all about learning uh i remember on our work days as he would call them where we'd get you know have a practice have a little bag skate and then you'd come up and half the guys would go in and have a workout in the weight room and the other half would go into the, he called it the, the hands skills room. And there he had everything that you could juggle, you know, pins, balls, blocks, whatever, uh, just stuff working on your hand eye coordination, ping pong table in there. And then after half an hour, you'd flip flop. Uh, so it, it was, it was a great environment for me just being hungry. Uh, didn't have, the dream I, yet of playing in the NHL because I didn't think that, you know, I was there yet and I wasn't. Um, I, I got to go to Philly's training camp three years in a row, but was sent home, you know, after a cup of coffee mm -hmm, <laughs> every yeah. year. Uh, so, and then something happened where I think it was my, it was my third year, Mike Eves was the coach. And all of a sudden, I mean, you know, if, if there's no injuries and you win, lineups don't change, Right. you know, for most teams. And we had won, and we bust to Rochester, New York, and uh, Mike pulls me off the bus, and he says, I uh, just want you to know that you're not playing tomorrow. And first thing that came out of my mouth was, why? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And he said, you know, it's coming from – up in Philly, they want to have some younger kids playing. And I proceeded to sit out for like the next three and a half months. Like I didn't play one game. All I did was travel and practice with the team. Uh, and I think I played in maybe one or two games at the end of the year. Uh, went home for that summer and I got a letter in the mail from Philly saying that I'm not invited to main camp. Just report to Hershey and you'll be reassigned from there. So... I thought I'm getting sent down to the East Coast League or right. something. So we're going to training camp that fourth year, and they made a coaching change. A guy named Jay Leach, um, East Coast guy, uh, salt of the earth. And we're going through camp, and maybe three days into it, and just you know, I'm really guarded because I'm you know I want to stay there. Um, and and you're 26 ish at this point, right? So from a minor league perspective, that's getting a little bit old, correct? Oh yeah. The, yeah. 
the clock doesn't stop ticking. <laughs> right, right. Sorry, I'm just trying to put this in perspective for, yeah. for those that might be feeling sorry for you. Like, wow, you're getting kind of screwed. I'm like, it's a business, and the older you get, the less value you have as a fran- in the franchise. Yeah, and again, you know, I, I, I wasn't, uh, you know, I've always been a, a, a sixth or seventh defenseman uh, on, on most teams that I played on. So, you know, I was a healthy scratch a lot of my career. But anyways, he pulled me into his office, and the day before, he pulled another guy into his office, and after that, that guy left. Oh, jeez. Oh, my goodness. Oh. So I'm thinking I'm going down and he pulls me into the office and he's sat, he said, sit down. And first question he asked says, tell me a little bit about growing up, you know, where'd you grow up and stuff. So I was just like caught off guard. So we chatted for like five minutes and he said, uh, you ever play forward? <laughs> and I said, coach, if, if, they, if I can stay here, I can't play goalie for you, but I'll play any position. Uh, if I can stay here, and he said, "Good," and that was the end of the meeting. Um, and then I didn't, I didn't play. Uh, I think it was five or six games, and we were in Cornwall. Um, it's Cornwall, Ontario. I think it's Ontario, and uh, it was Quebec's minor league team. Yeah. And, uh, Cornwall Aces, and it just stinks in that town because they got a paper mill. You know those paper mill towns. Yep. Um, so we're we're playing there and uh, in the playoffs, and I, I had a, a really good playoff uh, s- series against those guys. And uh, the a scout or someone from Ottawa um, saw me there, and that's how I ended up signing the next year because I didn't sign with Philly that year. But Jay Leach gave me the opportunity. Oh no, hold on, I was I, I got regret. I got screwed up on the story. So we're playing in Cornwall. There's five or six games in there. I've got to have myself. And I wasn't playing. I remember sitting with another teammate eating chicken fingers. (laughs) Wow. Watching the game. And in Cornwall, they have, uh, anytime they score, they have fireworks that go off in the scoreboard. You know, they come shooting up. And we're down like seven to nothing after the second period and I see some guy going across a catwalk up by the scoreboard with like a shopping cart and there was a security person next to me and I said what the heck is that guy doing right now you know during the game scoreboard uh fireworks loaded up again we only have enough for seven goals (laughs) no (laughs) they reloaded that and we ended up losing that game and the next game uh he put me in the lineup and we won and we went on a little bit of a run uh and i played the rest of the year and then we played the, the that same team in the playoffs i had a good playoffs there was someone from ottawa that was at that that series uh and i ended up uh that's how i ended up going to ottawa uh, i don't have the ottawa history here but i know they started sometime in the early 90s were they an established franchise at this point or were they just in their expansion and they were looking for experienced bodies yeah, you know, the, the first the first two years that I was there um, was it was tough years. <laughs> right. Didn't win a lot of games. Didn't win a lot of games. Uh, so it was it was a perfect spot for me and, and how I got there, I had one other offer, uh, and that was from the Minnesota Moose. Okay. And at, at the time, Glenn Sonmore is gonna come back into the mix here. Uh, at the time he was with the Minnesota Moose in some capacity, and I, 
I finished my fourth year in Hershey and my wife was uh, pre-med. She had taken her MCATs, got accepted to the University of Minnesota, did her, um, when they got to follow a doctor internship yep. or whatever, she did that in Hershey. It's called residency so, maybe? So she's ready to go yeah. uh, start medical school. So Glenn knew this. So we had lunch and he just basically said, he offered me a really nice contract plan for them. Um, at the time, I mean, it was over a hundred thousand, and you know, I, I think I made maybe sixty or seventy thousand. So it was a nice contract. Uh, but my wife was the one who uh, said Ottawa's, you know, they're affiliated with an NHL team. Uh, I can, I can put medical school on hold for a year or two. Let you know, go give it a try. So that's how I ended up signing with Ottawa. And again, I was grateful for Glenn Sonmore once again to you know come through and offer me uh, a contract to, to extend my career a little little longer, but I, I had to go a different direction, and I'm glad I did. So this is – you don't make the team – when you move from uh, – move over to Ottawa, you don't make the team, and you're back in the A playing in somewhere in the Prince Edward Island or Newfoundland or one yeah. of those, right? In the yeah. Atlantic provinces somewhere. How long were you there before you made it back to Ottawa or made it to Ottawa for the first time? So couple, my first couple games year, or a whole year? I don't remember. Yeah, so my first year with Ottawa, that was a lockout year. Okay, uh, got it, got it. Okay, so you spent a full yeah. year there within in the Atlantic provinces then, right? But was it but what was interesting that year is that uh, because of labor laws, uh, in the United States there weren't any training camps. But in Canada, there were. So I went to Ottawa's training camp, and again, cup of coffee, I get sent to Prince Edward Island. Uh, and this is, you know, think of where New York is, go north and then out into the ocean. That That's where you are. The only way to access this place is by a plane or a ferry at yep. the time. They have, they have a bridge now. So uh, I, I get, you know, I go to Prince Edward Island, and, uh, and find I find an apartment, and I'm, um, trying to set up cable, you know, get TV in the apartment or whatever. So I'm talking to the lady on the phone and, <laughs> uh, I, I did, I, and it was common with a lot of people there that I, I was seeing the same thing that I thought that there was a, a respiratory problem on the Island because you talk to someone and every time they end the sentence, they're like, <gasps> they like inhale and true. <laughs> And yeah. so I'm thinking, is, does everyone smoke here or what? And yeah. then, <laughs> so I, I actually told my wife, I said, I don't, I don't know if you want to come out here right now. I mean, I think that there's something seriously going on, but I find out that, that yeah, at the end of sentences is their version of a, like, you know, <laughs> how are you doing today? You know? Uh, so it was great. And then the other thing that was different was, uh, she was giving me my confirmation number for my cable and she's rattling off numbers and letters and she goes, all right, here it is a seven, nine, four C D Z. Yep. And I go, I pardon me, but what the heck is a Z? <laughs> Never heard that before. Yeah. Uh, it's weird when you hear so, it for the first time. Yeah. So it's, um, it was, uh, it was different, but it was so amazing. So spent that year, I played 61 games. Um, that first year and right away, it was different is that in Hershey, I was a young guy on the team. 
Uh, we had a lot of veteran players, one being Tim Tukey, Mitch Lamaru, uh, but not, you know, these guys never played uh, long times in the, uh, West Walls, they played with West Walls there at Hershey too. Right. Um, but uh, I get to Prince Edward Island and all of a sudden I'm the old guy on the team. Um, they had a lot, a lot of young guys. So Dave Allison was the coach at the time and he, he put me in a leadership role uh, right away as uh, one of the captains and had a really good year. I, I ended up making it to the AHL All-Star game that first year, if you can believe that. I happened. saw it. It's on the internet. I, I, found, I found that. And the only reason I made it is because that year they did, uh, they wanted to do a, a Canada versus U.S. kind of thing. Yeah. So they, they built the team, the U.S. team, uh, with players from uh, from U.S. based teams for the U.S. and then the Canadian based teams would populate the the Canadian version. Well, there was only like six teams up in Canada, so there wasn't as many players to draw from. So somehow I, I got a roster spot on there, and I ended up scoring a goal in that game. So. Mr. Humble, <laughs> Mr. Humble, I like it. it. It was great. So. Yeah, so then uh, <clears throat> lockout ended, and it was a Sunday. It was a Sunday morning. My wife was in the kitchen making breakfast, and I was just reading the paper. And in Prince Edward Island, nothing gets going on Sunday till the afternoon. You know, everyone's church or whatever. Uh, so she pokes her head out. And she goes, "Maybe you should start fighting more, and you'll get called up." And I like put the paper down, and I just. Tried to be calm <laughs> and said. Did you, you know, feel that question? Did I mean, obviously she was partly your coach too in some ways. Your wife is sort of a, an assistant coach in your brain, right? You're conscious, that kind of thing, right? When you don't have kids to as a distraction, right? You're going to talk about hockey, right? Well, I mean, she wears a lot of hats. The GM, scout. <laughs> <laughs> right. She's uh, She'll she'll let you know what she's thinking, but uh, and wait, let's take a quick time out here. So she's also an an Olympic grade athlete as a gymnast, so she knows a little bit about competition, right? Is that fair to say? Oh yeah, yeah. She was uh, she was on the eighty four team with Mary Lou Retton and broke her ankle like a month before the Olympics, but she was. She was close to to being an Olympian, so yeah, she she she's been around. So she says maybe you should fight. At this, that's the first time she ever brought, she only brought it up once that maybe you should fight. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, because I I think that after you know I I have had a pretty good season so far, um, and you can kind of sense that okay maybe it might be time that I'll. It might be my time where I get the call and get a chance. Right. Um, she just accelerated that. <laughs> and I told her, I said, if I can't make it playing the way I play, uh, it's, it's not gonna, it's not gonna happen because I, I was unwilling to, to transition into that role as a, you know, to become a fighter. Um, there were, there was this, too many scary individuals. <laughs> right. Well, that yeah. was my next question because obviously you said no. I, I, I'd rather be who I am and before I do that. But part of it's also like was the no because you didn't want your you, – you saw yourself when you were 60 years old and you didn't want to have some of those defects that come from getting your head beat in night in, night out, correct? I, 
to be honest with you and to be completely honest, I was scared. Okay. Um, well, that's another yeah. decent answer too, right? Yeah. I mean, I, with that being said, I was scared of that, but I was scared going into every NHL game that I played uh, because I knew that my role is to go make people mad. And back then, you know, by hitting them. And back then when you are physical on players, they have designated players that kind of clean up and make sure that that doesn't happen. So I always had the toughest guys trying to chase me down. Uh, I remember Bob Kroger. <laughs> oh, gosh. Bob, um, Bob Probert, Bob, uh, If Bob Probert's chasing me, I, you're going to find me in the alley. I'm gone. I'm out the door. That's the scariest man. I think he's the scariest guy ever in the NHL, potentially, right? Oh, there, there was, yes. I mean, he, he was he was crazy. So, yeah, you can see, I mean, just think of your worst nightmare. That's, that's, that's it. But, you know, I had to go uh, against. But I remember on a draw, I had hit someone, um, and we were lined up next to each other, and he goes, uh, you do that one more time tonight? He says, you and I are going to have to dance. And I said, okay. And that was it. <laughs> we didn't fight. And no. I was, uh, I was very careful the rest of that game. <laughs> Gosh, that's crazy. I didn't even think we would get the Bob Probert today. Um, all right. Before your first, so, she, so Lisa says this about me to fight. And within like, is it within 24 hours, within a couple days, you get called up? No, it was like three hours later. Oh, my gosh. That's great. So you get called yeah. up and walk through. Uh, there's some. I, I read an article. You know, I read this on the Internet. Walk through the thing where you go, you get called up, and you leave her behind, for the lack of a better term. And how many hours away is PEI from, from Ottawa? Yeah, it, it's a pretty cool story. So, you know, get the call, getting called up, and everything happened really, really fast. Right. Uh, I had maybe an hour and a half to get packed up, go to the rink, get my gear, and then get to the airport. So we didn't really talk about it. It was like, holy crap, what, what's this happening? Uh, so we got to the airport. She's, you know, getting my bags out of the trunk. And she goes, well, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> and I said, I don't know. <laughs> right. Uh, well, let me get up there and get a lay of the land and maybe you fly out in a couple days. So I left and uh, flew there, went to the rink, dropped off my gear, went to the hotel, had dinner, and then uh, gave her a call. And usually she's pretty chatty. I called her maybe at 7 o'clock. Uh, is the game that chatty. day or is the game the next day? Game's next day. Okay, yeah. all right, so all right, I got it. Up, I called up on Sunday, played Monday. And uh, so she just said, well, enjoy uh, tonight, watch a movie, whatever. And uh, that was it. So I was surprised, and I was like, all right, time to get into the evening. Right. So I ended up watching Shawshank Redemption that night. Uh, and I couldn't sleep uh, after just rolling around. It was just a wrestling match with my pillows and blankets. Got up, went to the pregame skate, uh, had a pregame meal. And most hockey players have a little pregame nap, and I'm uh, – I'm a big napper. I never met a nap I didn't like. Uh, woke up, and I like to get to the rink three hours before the game starts. So um, it's like, I think it was a 7.30 start, so it's close to 4 o'clock. I'm getting ready to leave, and all of a sudden there's a knock on the door. 
my hotel door and I was like, who's that? You know, I didn't order any room service or anything. And I open it up and here it's my wife. And I go, what the heck are you doing here? She goes, it's my first game too and I, I'm not going to miss it. So she had, uh, once I got off the phone with her, she had to jump in her car and uh, get on the last ferry uh, off the island. And then she drove through the night through snow storms and stuff um, to get there. Hadn't slept at all. And, you know, there she was. So was, I went to the game uh, to get ready. She went to, for a little nap and she was there for that first game. Oh, that's so cool. I read that story and was like, oh, I'm getting that one on a pod. I'm getting that on here for sure. I thought that was pretty neat. That was pretty cool. Um, all right, so let's walk through uh, first first NHL game. We we got that one, right? First NHL goal. I heard it was a bomb you let go, right? Is that what it was, your first NHL goal? <laughs> no, it no? wasn't a bomb. But, uh, Were you playing for Ottawa? I was playing for Ottawa, yeah. Uh, I believe it was in Madison Square Garden uh, against Mike Richter. And, you know, I just somehow threw a puck to the net and ricocheted off a couple of their guys and into the net. So uh, there's my most memorable goal, I would say, and there's not many to choose from. Right. <laughs> you know, under 20, I think, but uh, in my whole career. But it was the, the night after my son Rem was born. Uh, I was in, and this is another story, uh, we were in Buffalo at the time, uh, going to play the Sabres the next night, and the one thing when you're in the hotel room, uh, you learn pretty quick that someone somehow can get access to you in your room, and we're in Buffalo, or I, I think my first time it happened, we were in the Islanders or whatever, so you get these calls in the middle of the night, and it says people like, laughing on the phone <laughs> good luck tomorrow night you know whatever right right so you learn to unplug your phone so phone's unplugged uh we're in buffalo and it's like three in the morning four in the morning i get a knock on the door and it's our trainer and he says we we've been trying to get a hold of you uh your wife's in labor oh I'm god like, Holy cow. so get packed up come to my room and we'll get to your travel arrangements uh squared away so i couldn't fly out of buffalo so there were, all the flights were booked. So I ended up having to take a cab to Toronto uh, and then fly back from there and get in the cab, going to the hospital, just anticipating that uh, the nurses are going to run me into a room, get all gowned up, and I'm just going to make it there in the nick of time uh, for the birth of my kid. Uh, and I get there, and none of that happened. My wife's in you know, bed eating jello or something, watching <laughs> something on TV. So... There was a, you know, that, that anxiety went away. So later on, um, I went down to get a bite to eat. Uh, and she, she was in labor, but it was a long one. Right. Uh, she, so uh, it was the evening. So I get something to eat, and I'm coming back, and the, there's a little waiting area with the TV on, and the, the Ottawa game was on. So I just kind of slid in, into there for a little bit. Because uh, we were, we were, uh, we were, that year, I believe, was the year uh, we went on a bit of a run, and that was the year I think we made it to the playoffs for the first year. So, you know, there, there was a lot on the line, so I was interested in, in how they were doing. And then all of a sudden, after like 15 minutes, I get lost and forget time. A uh, nurse comes in, and she goes, Lance, it's time. And I said, I, I can't believe that I said this. I go, uh, there's like three minutes left of either in the <laughs> 
in the period. <laughs> so she quietly went over and turned off the TV and just said, Lance, it's time. And right there I knew it was uh, ready. So ended up having, uh, going through that experience of having first kid and uh, went home, got some sleep. Uh, the boys came home and I went to the pregame skate and my coach, uh, Jacques Martin at the time, called me into his office and he, he said congratulations and then he followed that up with, you know, you're playing tonight. And I said, what? Because I really didn't want to play. <laughs> right, right. And then when he said that, I was like, All right, yeah, right, okay. So uh, that night uh, we played the Washington Capitals and I scored a goal. Daniel, Alves, I kind of busted down the side and Daniel Alfred gave me a, a pass and I ended up scoring. But I, I think I had a goal and assist that game. I was the first star of the game for the first time ever in my career. Uh, so it, it was a, a magical uh, 24 hours, that's for sure. Oh, that's awesome story. That's awesome. I got one more uh, uh, Ottawa story for you. I want you to kind of give me your perspective. I did a pod with Damian Rhodes, a Richfield kid, and <laughs> – I'm not even sure it came on the pod or maybe it came out of the pod, but it was somehow he died. Uh, you guys beat the the Devils uh, in a first-round playoff series, uh, which was an upset at the time considering they'd won the Cup in 95. Um, and he wore – he had, like, blonde hair. Like, he got his hair dyed, and then the whole city started dyeing their hair. And he kind of had – Ottawa kind of had its coming-out party, um, and you were right there in the thick of it. What are your memories of that uh, playoff run in that series, the success for Ottawa? And I'm sure the town was going bonkers. Yeah, well, what most people don't understand is that there was an NHL team in Ottawa uh, years ago. Right. Uh, so they had a team there, and they lost it. Uh, so for them, what you're talking about, they had some tough years, the, the first, what, four or five years. Right. Uh, and then we started having success, you know, the, the year before we lost a bunch of games by one goal. And then that year, uh, we started winning those games. Um, so there, there was a lot of momentum, a lot of excitement. Uh, Ottawa is a, a proud community, uh, and so many people. Uh, had went into, you know, making that a successful uh, franchise there. But uh, Damien, I call him House of Style, uh, is what I call it. Because I'd go, I'd go on a road trip for, let's say, a four-day road trip. Um, I would have one suit, the suit that I was wearing, and two shirts, you know, a couple pairs of underwear and a couple of extra shirts. That's it. Yep. He, would bring, he would bring four different suits. Um, you know, he was, uh, he was dressed very well and, um, and he cared about his hair <laughs> when he, he died it, uh, you know, you look at him like, what the heck's that? But, uh, not, in, not knowing what, what kind of an impact it would have, uh, not only uh, on our team, but also the community. So it just goes to show you how passionate, uh, people in Ottawa are for, for hockey and, Damien was uh, one of those players that, you know, acted a little differently, uh, but it was well embraced. So did did it, did it affect you that he was from Minnesota, about the same age, and kind of a little bit similar path, you know, WCHA kid, Lake Conference kid? Did you guys have a connection there, or was it just by the time you were eight years pro, it just was nice that he was from your home state? Well, what's interesting is that there was a time, I believe, that we 
Ottawa had more Minnesotan players on their team than any other NHL team. We had uh, Don Beaupre. Yep. I don't know if he's originally from Minnesota, but he's no. there now. Chris Dahlquist. Uh, yep. Sean, Sean Hill was there. Uh, myself, Tom Chorsky. Yep. Uh, so it, it was like six or seven guys. And it was cool, you know, because you, you had that connection. I mean, Tom, like Chorsky, for example, we were never super close in college, uh, you know, hanging out a ton. But once we were there, uh, we hung out with him and his wife, Christy, all the time. You know, so it was it was great just getting to know uh, a lot of different people on a, on a deeper level. Isn't that weird where you, you didn't hang out much in college? I've, I've had that situation in my personal and professional life where you didn't hang out much in college. All of a sudden, they become your really close friend outside of college just because you have a, a shared experience of, of something yep. like, like playing pro hockey. Yeah, it's kind of neat. Uh, all right, we're, I want to get I want to get to Lance now, but before I get to that, I got to get uh, what your favorite rink was because you you played in the '90s. You saw a lot of great barn Chicago Stadium, the Odd in Buffalo. I mean, you've seen them all. What was the one that you really you know brings back great memories? So for me, based on the the, the role I had on the team. Uh, my favorite rinks to play in were the old Boston Garden and then the Buffalo Odd because those rinks were uh, smaller than today's regulation size right. rink. So uh, there there wasn't a lot of room. So it was really, really beneficial for me because players didn't have uh, a lot of places to go to hide. They couldn't hide, right? Yeah. So uh, those would be the, the best. You know, Chicago... Uh, an amazing uh, place to play. Here, here's a Mike Hughes story. We're playing, I'm in Hershey playing in, uh, for the Hershey Bears. We're in Rochester again. And we're first period's over and, you know, we're stinking up the joints. We're, we're playing horrible. So he comes in and, you know, just blows a gasket on us. And the last thing he says before he leaves, he goes, uh, because it, it in Rochester, you can take stairs. It's in. It's kind of the, the locker room's kind of in a basement. So you got to either take stairs up, uh, like the Chicago Stadium, the old Chicago Stadium. You have to walk upstairs to get to ice level, right? Or you could take an elevator. Um, and after the first period, uh, there were some players uh, going out for the game that took the elevator up. So Mike comes in. The last thing he says, he blows the gasket. He says, and "When you're playing in uh, playing in Chicago." You don't take the stairs, or you don't take the elevator up to the rink. You take the stairs. I don't want to see anyone else on the elevator. <laughs> and all of us kind of, when he left, you know, I looked at whoever was sitting next to me because most of us hadn't played in the NHL games. And I go, what the heck did that mean? You right. Know? You had no idea, <laughs> right? There in Chicago because it, it just didn't make sense. But, um, yeah, there's a... Uh, the rinks today are just ridiculous. I mean, it's every need. I mean, it's everything's first class. I mean, even the college rinks. Yeah. Um, you know, from a recruiting perspective, you know, once North Dakota made their rink, uh, that kind of set the standard for everyone. Um, because, you know, you go to that rink and do a tour and then go to some rink that hadn't been updated. I mean, it's, it's a, a, a huge recruiting uh, tool 
Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, who was the best coach you ever had in the pros? Would it have been Mike Eves, Martin? Who are who? Who one guy stands out who really kind of propelled you or pushed you? You know, Mike Eves would be. I I would say that all of them were great. You know, Mike early. You know, like I said, he was just such a learner, and uh, you know, trying to. He wanted every player that he coached to make it to the NHL. You know, and you, you could feel that. Uh, and then Jay Leach came in. I mean, he's special to me, too, because he gave me an opportunity. Uh, I, I tell the story of, uh, you know, Philadelphia. If it, they had the plans of moving me to the East Coast League or whatever. And for some reason, he liked me, Jay Leach. And you, you got to think that there was a conversation that he had with uh, the brass up in, in Philly where they're like, I thought Pitlick is – we're getting rid of him, and you know he's an East Coast guy, and I could just see him going. I don't know. I kind of like the guy. I want to keep him around. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he was good, and I, I guess for the NHL it would be Jacques Martin, um, hands down. Uh, that guy was uh, amazing for me. Um, just such an even keeled guy. Uh, and again, you are loyal to guys who give you opportunities. And I remember after my second year i think it was i was up most of the year but i only played in 29 games at my exit meeting uh with him he just told me that he goes lance uh you know going into next year i want you to think about this that you know you you have a good shift and he's a french guy so i'm not going to try to imitate his accent but he says you have good shifts and then you follow it up with a not so good shift and then average shift and then a better shift and then bad shift. He says, you're all over the map. He says, I need to know that I can count on you every single shift. Uh, and that's, that's what changed me. Um, I went into that summer and I worked really hard and, um, and I became, you know, I guess a more dialed in player, a more consistent player based on that. So yeah, Jacques Martin, he, he was the most impactful. And then the, probably the most challenging coach that I ever had to play for was Mike Keenan. Um, really? In Florida? Yeah, yeah. He was, uh, he was a challenge. Um, you're you're the first a... person that's ever said this. This is, this is newsworthy. Really? <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, he's challenging to everybody. Right, not yeah, just I, not just the players, but to the other teams and the media everywhere. That guy seemed to be a challenge. Yeah, it was. It, I had another experience where I was a healthy scratch. So when I signed with Florida, uh, I was a free agent, so I had a nice contract, and uh, I had a, a fourth year that could be guaranteed if I played in I think sixty games going into that fourth year, and that was about my average sixty sixty five games uh, that I played. Uh, so I don't know, maybe 30 games into the year, not even, um, all of a sudden I'm a healthy scratch again. And I was out for, I think four months where I didn't play. They wouldn't send me down. They wouldn't trade me. They, uh, they just made it. So I couldn't get that fourth year guarantee. And then once that ended, then I started playing again. Right. So, so they got you to 29 games or whatever. Like there's no way physically possible. He can get to 60, right? Yeah. So, no, he and whatever it. There's Jacques Martin because I asked Jacques about about him before I ever had him as a coach because you just know the legacy uh, of Mike Keenan 
that, uh, you know, he's a tough coach. And I asked him because he had, he was an assistant coach, I believe, with Mike Keenan, uh, maybe in Chicago. Uh, and I asked him about him. I said, what is he like a, a human being? And, you know, he just said, you know what, Lance, uh, you can learn something from everyone. Yeah. And that's, that's what he left it at. Somebody said that just recently. He says, I learned a lot, even from the bad coaches. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Like, I learned a ton about the game of hockey, even from the bad coaches. I thought yeah. that was an interesting take. Um, yeah. All right, let's do some comparisons to hockey. And I got, I have a, a good clinching question to end here. But um, uh, 1986 hockey versus 2022 hockey. What does Lance like better? Say that again. 1986 hockey, your senior year in high school versus yeah. let, maybe let's just do, do you know, Red or Ram when they were 16, 17, 18 years old. The, the difference is almost it's a different game. Um, which, what do you like better? Um, you know, I, I like today's game. Um, and I, I, I think that the biggest thing, you know, you don't, you don't see the multi-sport athlete anymore. No, and I'm okay with that. And my my kids were uh, pretty much a single sport uh, athlete uh, after around 10, 11 years old. Um, and not because that wasn't because of my wife or I. That was because they, you know, baseball was boring to them. Right. Um, and and that and they really gravitated towards hockey. And they were, you know, at the park, uh, always on the outdoor rink playing you know, uh, knee hockey, whatever. Um, but I think that it's gotten so competitive now. I mean, the, the game today, the, the lineups are so much deeper than they were back when I played um, at every level, just because coaches are way more informed. Uh, the internet is a, is a big thing, especially YouTube. Uh, it's an you know, equalizer, we, I think. It is, you see what's possible. Uh, you know, you can, back when we were a kid, if you didn't see the ESPN highlight of the night, you never saw anything. Never. And now you can research all the best plays and goals and, and you can see what's possible. Uh, so I think the game today is, is really great. Um, it is so skilled and I'm amazed that, you know, some of the things players are able to pull off, uh, on, on the biggest hockey stage in the world. It's pretty fascinating. That, that's, a, that's a good answer there. Um, is it crazy to think that your kids, when I think of your two boys, now they're young men, um, I think of them as highly skilled athletes, um, not bruising checkers. Do, do, do you see any of yourself in some of your boys pl- the way they play? Uh, I, I've had moments uh when they were younger where they would uh, <clears throat> assert themselves physically. And I, I would say that, okay, they're my kid. Uh, but there are other times, you know, and that, that was the re hitting, like I said, when I, so let's kind of, tra- I'll transition a little bit into what I do. You know, I had a 17 year coaching career and now I'm a off ice stick skills specialist. So I, I, um, I teach stick handling, shooting, passing, all that stuff. Um, and when I was, when my kids got into hockey, uh, 
and started to show an early passion, I, I actually got scared uh, because they're, I knew they were going to be undersized. Yep. And I knew that there were going to be players that they were going to play against that were like me, that they don't give a crap about scoring goals. They want to just wreck you. Um, and I'm, I didn't know anything. When you play in the NHL and you have a kid that plays hockey, you have no choice. You have to coach. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to help out in some capacity. And I knew nothing about coaching. Yeah. I played where I played, but how to teach stuff, I didn't know. So I really became a student of the game um, and learned. And I was, as I started uh, coming up with content to teach kids and stuff, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, uh, how can I protect players? And I, I was always thinking about the players that I, I hit. Like, right. what, what weren't they doing? And I just couldn't figure it out. And then all of a sudden it popped in my head one day that how, why don't I focus on the players that I could never hit? What, did, what were they doing different than everyone else? And the, the key was they had unreal puck skills. And when you have unreal hands and can handle a puck, uh, your eyes are up more. So I was just going to say, the guys had their eyes up, right? Yeah, and that's, that's, that's an, earned, an earned skill. Um, so that's what, that's what kind of started my post hockey career was that moment. And, uh, it, it developed into, uh, a number of businesses hockey related. How crazy is that to think that maybe your career, the last 20 years is predicated on two children, right? Yeah. Because, or let's just say you had two daughters that followed in your wife's path of gymnastics. Where would your career be, right? I wouldn't be on your podcast right now. (laughs) No, you would not. No. Maybe. (laughs) You never know. I interviewed Damian Rhodes, and he doesn't have any hockey players. So you never know. He could have maybe made it. But uh, I think it's kind of fascinating, right, how your children. I wouldn't be where I am if it weren't for my son, Jake. Um, He was into hockey. So I got in, you know, I was always coaching hockey, involved in hockey, but had he chosen basketball and he very well could have, he was, he turned out to be six foot four, but I probably wouldn't be on this pod with you either. So isn't that weird how your kids kind of dictate parts of your life that you have no idea? Yeah, it is. And my, my wife and I, you know, when I decided that I was going to, you know, pursue some of this stuff, you know, she basically, took care of the, any medical needs, you know, and, uh, schooling homework with the kids. And then I took care of, uh, you know, the, the coaching, um, and training with uh, them. And I, I did, we just, I just said that if they're passionate about it, then I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to participate, um, as long as they, they stay really passionate. So, uh, I'm grateful for it because everything that I have in my life is somehow hockey intersects it. So let's talk through you. How many uh, patents inventions does Lance have? Uh, I know the one you have the one training tool, but I'm sure you have several other tools. Is it is it dozens or is just one or two? So to be honest with you, uh, I don't own any patents. Really? And, uh, yeah. So that the, the the company you're talking about is called Sniper's Edge Hockey. So we I started that company in '03, '04, yep. and Basically, it's, you know, whatever you need to set up a at-home training uh, facility right. in your garage basement, you know, we got uh, the shooting tarps, uh, flooring, the sweet hands, 
balls, pucks, all kinds of stuff. Uh, sold that company yep. uh, a few years ago. So I don't have any patents. Uh, I, I, we, I have a relationship with the new owner. And uh, But like you know, even the – even I was – this article, even, even the stick handling uh, – the thing where you put the 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 the, the puck underneath that that was yeah. somewhat yeah. of a, that was an invention of yours, wasn't it? Yeah, I came up with that in '03. Um, um, so yeah, so that that was a big part. I still have some other products that I never uh, brought to market that I, I, I use, and we may uh, do it at some point. But uh, that was one part of my life that I not doing. The other thing was uh, over the last decade, uh, I, I have a company called onlinehockeytraining.com and that's the world's largest database of off ice stick handling, passing and shooting drills on the planet. I think I'm number one. Yep. Uh, but I have just over 1200 drills uh, in my program and they're broken into uh, 64 different lesson plans or training modules uh, that are in a progressive form that players from all over the world can uh, access and train at home. Uh, so that that's pretty cool. If you want to learn more wait, about You got me at 1,200. Like, why wasn't 500 enough? Why did you go from 500? Why, how many drills can there be? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I'm just making funny a little bit. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, well, it's 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 been an evolution. I mean, I did the the one thing when I started the company online hockey training uh, is I the the initial kind of epiphany that I had was I wanted to have a lesson plan, and I didn't know what it looked like for every week of the year. So that's mm-hmm. 52, fifty-two lesson plans. Um, so the main part of my program that's what it has now. Two winters ago. Uh, I was so burnt out from doing lessons, which is another business I do uh, right. in private, right? And uh, after when 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 COVID hit, like normally Labor Day weekend happens, and I'm, I'm kids are back in school, and I get my my afternoons back because I can't do lessons normally in the afternoon because kids are in school, but because of COVID and all the online learning. Uh, and the cancellation, or at least the, the suspension of uh, the hockey season, uh, my business just exploded. So right. I was, once hockey started up that year in Minnesota, uh, I, 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 had, I have a notebook that's always with me next to my bed when I sleep because I'll wake up in the middle of the night with a concept or a drill and I'll scribble it out and you know test it the next day. But so I always, what's cool is that I don't develop this stuff and then produce it and give people access to it. I come up with ideas and then I test it with the players that I, I work with and see if it, uh, you know, accomplishes what I hoped it would. And if the kids enjoy it, then I add it to the program. And um, so that's what I did. Why I, I just stopped doing lessons that year, a couple of years ago, the winter and uh, went into a four month filming phase and I filmed uh, like 560 drills in just under four months. Um, and you know, now it is where it's at. And I, I, I it's kind of like fashion, you know, it never goes away and it's forever changing. Right. Uh, I, at times I, I wish that the, the valve would turn off because my brain's always in a creative mode, but uh, I don't, I don't, 
wish that anymore. I mean, I, I, I want to continue to be able to create and uh, to come up with new things. And I hope that when players come and work with me, that they, they feel that it, they're never doing the, the same drill uh, again. You know, it's always something different or there's a little add on to it to make it a little more challenging. I'd like to be there one day. Like, okay, Johnny, this is drill number 1139, only 61 <laughs> to go. Right. Uh, and that, that's, you know, filming, you know, I, I go into these, uh, work phases that are months long, uh, and I'll repeat the same day right. every day for, for months. Um, so it's, it's, it's a lot of work, but when it's, when it's finished, um, and then you have players and parents, you know, giving you feedback saying this, thank you for producing that. My, my kids benefited so much. Um, that, that makes you feel good to, to want to do it. So I, I have a blessed life. Uh, I love waking up every morning, um, doing what I do and, uh, I, I'm going to keep doing it until I can't do it anymore. Well, we'll get to that in just a second. So before I get to my, my clincher question about your life kind of in general, but, um, I wanted to ask you, how do how does somebody find, uh, a few of this stuff. So Sniper's Edge, you're still involved uh, a little bit, correct? So that's snipersedge.com? Snipersedgehockey.com. Okay. Uh, that, uh, a guy named David Schuler. Yep. Uh, that's his company. But if you need uh, training aids, uh, set up a home facility, that's your spot. Uh, my online program is onlinehockeytraining.com. Uh, there's a you got to give your email. It doesn't cost you anything, but you can gain access to my 10 part video series where, uh, you basically learn everything about what I, what I know, uh, and how, uh, it can benefit your player or, or you as a player. And that's all, uh, all that content's free. Well, the, the 10 part video series, but as far as my program yep. that you have to become a member and pay for that. How much do you pay? Uh, just, just out of curiosity, just for What's that? How much do you pay to become part of your program? Uh, we have different options, but uh, for a lifetime membership, it's right around four hundred dollars. Okay. To have access to that. Um, so, yeah, it, it's it's been you know over a decade in the building, and I, I know that it's I know that it works. Yeah, but players gotta buy into it, and they gotta be willing to invest uh, some time into themselves on a consistent basis in order to. Uh, see the benefits. All right. Um, and then how does somebody, if they're really, really, really bored, want to hear a podcast where you interview me and all your other podcasts? Because those, the other ones I'm sure are excellent, but ours was, wasn't great. Well, how do I find me? On, uh, how do you, what is your f- podcast name online? Yeah, two, two things I'll add. So the podcast, it's called the Hockey Journey Podcast. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I think uh, I got 35 episodes. This started it in January, so I'm still learning my chops. But uh, just a lot of great messaging. Uh, everyone plays the, the sport or has some connection with the sport. Uh, that's the same, but everyone's story is different. And uh, in pretty much every case, uh, they've, they've, they've had some adversity, you know, had some successes. Uh, so it's just... Uh, trying to get these stories out that uh, you can hear if you're chasing a similar path and seeing what others have, have done to, to get there. 
the other thing, so that's the Hockey Journey podcast. And then uh, I do in-person lessons at my home. Uh, that website is called sweethockeycoach.com uh, if you're interested to, to get in for a lesson. So, yeah, that's what I do. Wow. And it's, uh, it's, an amazing, it's an amazing life for me. And I can only imagine how much, it co- how much it costs to get a lesson from the Lance Pitlick. Um, <laughs> I'm <laughs> well, just giving you a hard time. No, All right. Clinching question, because this has been fun. Uh, and obviously, it's we're an hour and 45 minutes in, so it, I've been really entertained. Hopefully, our audiences as well. But um, I can imagine, uh, I want to imagine, go back to Lance Pitlick at somewhere between t- 10 and 18 years old, uh, living with your mom and your brother, um, and not even really with college hockey, much less a pro hockey uh, pedigree in your, in your near future, in your brain. I want to get to that kid and imagine, could you have ever imagined where you were then? to where you've become today by playing 10 years pro having, you know, successful marriage, successful kids, successful life, your 1200 videos series. Did you ever imagine you would become who you've become today back then? No, absolutely not. Uh, when I retired from the NHL, uh, I had one objective and that was to not ever work for anyone again. Uh, I, I, I just didn't like that being on other people's schedule and I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, so I guess for, for me, I, I couldn't have imagined me doing what I do today and, uh, experiencing everything that I have experienced. And if, if at the end of it, when, you know, I'm thrown in the dirt, (laughs) Uh, if I'm going to be remembered, I hope it's as uh, an instructor, as a coach, uh, over a player all day long. Uh, I couldn't imagine uh, being able to get the, the feeling that I get on a daily basis working with uh, really passionate players. Uh, so, yeah, no, just couldn't have imagined it. Didn't have any clue that I'd be where I'm at. And uh, just really, really uh, use the word a lot grateful for for everything that I had in my life today so you say you're richer as a result of teaching the game versus playing the game yeah and the reason is is because uh, I think of the effort that I I, I put into to learning um, how to teach uh, stick skills specifically uh, to players it's uh, it took a long time you know one of the experiments, that I, I did in trying to get into uh, a moment in time, like a, a kid, when they first have a stick in their hand, that moment when you first put the skates on and you have a stick in your hand, that awkwardness and stuff, how can I get to that moment? And I, I one day it's this, how about opposite hand? Um, teach myself opposite hand. So that's what I did. I budgeted like um, three to four days a week for 30 minutes, I'd go into my space and I'd work my program opposite hand. And the first couple weeks, not fun, obviously, because right. you're really bad and it's awkward and clumsy. But I, I persisted and uh, halfway through the third month is when it, it happened. I was just like, holy cow, coach has got some opposite hand mojo now. 
where today I can't even tell uh, in a lot of drills what hand I am. Like passing, I can't tell. Uh, but that knowledge of, you know, the steps it takes to, to get to the next level as far as stick skill proficiency, <clears throat> I never would have. I never would have known. So I know that if a kid commits, you know, just around three months that they can change their trajectory. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's, it's been an evolution. Um, uh, and I, I just, I love learning. I love learning and uh, I just try to pass it on to the players I get in front of uh, on, a, on a weekly basis. Well, this has been a blast. I, I really appreciate your time uh, and getting to know you and, and learn some of the stories. I'm sure our, our audience as well. Thanks a lot for, for joining me joining me today, Lance. Well, thank you. Uh, like I said, this is a, a great platform. You do amazing stuff with uh, the Youth Hockey Hub and uh, having guests on. It's a, it's, a, it's a very impactful platform, and just thanks for having me on your show. Lance Pitlick, our today's Minnesotan.